0: turn in God's Word again this morning to the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter. Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin reading at verse 13 and we will read through the end of the chapter, although our words of consideration this morning are basically verses 13 through 16 once again. Galatians chapter 5, beginning to read verse 13. Let us hear again God's breathed out word to us. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as we read the Scriptures to see what true love is. We pray that you will be with Pastor Bob as he explains these things unto us. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to consider this text again. We uh, got into it a little bit last day, uh, last Lord's Day morning, but uh, there was much more to unpack there than we could conclude with as we uh, ended with verses 13, 14, and 15. But let's quickly review. And the quick review is this. Paul has been telling us through this message of the Holy Spirit that we have indeed freedom from the Mosaic Law. But the freedom that we have from that law is not a license for immorality. So once again, Paul is saying this. Look, you're never going to be saved by an observance to the Ten Commandments. You're not going to make it. You're going to be condemned. If the way that you think that you might enter into glory someday upon the day of your death is because you've accumulated a number of good obediences, you've kept the law, you've kept the Ten Commandments, the reality is you haven't. The reality is God's word declares that you are a sinner. God's word declares that you are corrupt from within. And that corruption from within exemplifies itself without. Oh, you may have kept the law here or there, but you have not kept the law fully. Therefore, we cannot be saved by that law. In Christ, through Christ... We have freedom from the law as a means of our salvation. If the law is our means of salvation, there is only condemnation. But Christ is the means of our salvation. Therefore, there is freedom. There is justification. But that freedom does not Allow me the license to do what I want. Let me give you an example. Let's take the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. If we were operating under the principle of that my obedience to that commandment could earn me salvation, then I would have to honor God's name all the days of my life. I could never allow any offensive word, any sort of derivative of God's name to ever come forth through my mouth. If I ever uttered the expression, oh my God, I'm going to hell. If I ever say, oh geez, I'm going to hell. If that is the basis of my salvation. I violated the law. I have not kept it. If I'm going to earn my way there, I'm not making it. Christ has come, set me free, paid for all of my sins, paid for all the words that have come forth from my mouth that have been a violation of the third commandment. I'm no longer bound to that law as a means of my salvation. I have freedom in Christ. But that does not mean now that I can just let any old thing come out of my mouth in regards to the name of the Lord. It doesn't mean that I can somehow begin to take God's name in vain every time I feel like it, because after all, Christ paid for my sin. No, I have to be a respecter of God's name. I still need to honor God's name, but not as a means of my salvation. This I now do out of love, out of gratitude. Out of thankfulness. So we don't read all those novels that abuse God's name. We turn off the television set when, when God's name becomes abused. We don't lay down our 12 bucks to go see a movie where all it is is abused. We don't do it. Why? Because I'm going to be saved if I, if I don't go? No has nothing to do with my salvation. Christ has everything to do with my salvation. But out of gratitude for what the one who came and released me from my chains have done. I say, I am going to seek to honor, to glorify your name. Never to seek to willfully, actively, or passively abuse the glorious name my God. So that's where we've been. Now Paul comes to us and says, listen, when it really comes down to it, what it really boils down to is this, we need to serve one another in love. So let's look at this in two points this morning. First of all, the selfless love exemplified in Christ. And then selfless love encouraged in us. You know, it it seems that for all of our hoopla about Christmas, Christmas when it really comes down to it as it's practiced by most folks in this world, Is probably one of the most selfish holidays we have. Really, when you stop to think about it, because really Christmas really focuses in, in the modern era on us. Think of the little child sitting there receiving his gifts, tearing package after package without even acknowledging who it was from. How hard you as parents struggle at those family get-togethers when grandma hands them the present and they open the present and they go, oh, this is so neat, what's my next one? That that we're struggling, so don't, don't embarrass me, don't embarrass me. Make sure you say thank you for that world's ugliest sweater again. Why would grandma ever think I'd wear pajamas that look like this? see, it's all about us. Children often reflect it. They're just reflecting what the rest of us are experiencing. What's next? What do I get next? What's my company going to give me for Christmas this year? What's my bonus going to look like? It becomes one of the most selfish holidays we have. Think about those of you and I'm sure this doesn't happen to anybody at Little Farms, but think about those of you who have teenagers. Okay, we need to get in the car because we're going to that family get-together, and the face just, oh, it turns as sour as sour can be, right? The whole way there on a screen, the whole way at the event on a screen, angry. I'd rather go somewhere with my friends than to hang out with the cousins I don't know. It becomes so self-focused. And then there's all the, the squabbling about the Christmas gathering. Well, she was supposed to bring a dish for 24, and I'm sure there's only 12 pieces in there. It's all self-focused. becomes one of the most selfish holidays that we have upon our calendar. We become more selfish, I think, sometimes about Christmas than we do about our own birthdays. And yet, the example of that which is taking place, the real essence of Christianity, the real essence of Christmas, is about selfless love. Let me me give you three passages to to just put in the back of your mind this Christmas season as, as you think about this text. sir. One another through love. Is that not what Christ is doing in Bethlehem? The three texts are these. One, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Is this about selfishness? No. This is about selfless love. Sandy and I, for the past couple of years, have been attending uh, a concert that, that's put on by the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys. We were there last evening, and in God's providence, one of the readings was the following. This is uh, a second century apologetic. That, that means this was a second century defense of the coming of Jesus Christ, and just listen to this in the context of, for God so loved the world that he gave. The Almighty himself, creator of the universe, the God whom no eye can discern, has sent down from heaven his very own truth, his holy word, to be planted in the heart of the human race. To do this, one might have imagined he would send some servants, some angels, some prince, but no. He sent the very constructor of the universe through whom the heavens were made and the seas set within their bounds, whose word is obeyed by the very elements of creation, who assigns the sun the limits of its course by day and commands the moon to unveil its beams by night and orders the obedient stars to circle the heavens. He is the ordainer, disposer, and ruler of all things, of all that is in heaven and on earth, of the very seas and all they contain, of fire and air and the deep, of all that is above and below and in between. Such a messenger God has sent to the human race. One might have imagined that his coming would be in power, terror, and awesomeness, but no, his coming was in gentleness and humility. God sent him As a king might send his own son. And he came among us as a fellow human being. For God would save us by persuasion. Not by compulsion. There is no compulsion to be found in God. And he sent him not to judge us. But sent him out of love. For God so loved the world. you reflect upon the coming of Christ out of love. Serve one another. Because this is what God is doing. For God so loved that He gave His Son. The second verse I'd have you consider is found in the book of Colossians. It's chapter 1, verse 19. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God. That's why we speak of Emmanuel, God with us. That's why we speak of the word became flesh. That's why those who in the second century are defending the historic understanding of the Gospels, that in the Gospel accounts we have, God himself taking on flesh. Christ is not lesser God. Christ is the fullness of God. And he who was the fullness of God, Paul writes in Philippians, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Selfless love. What's happening there? As Jesus moves through Mary's birth canal, selfless love, almighty God, creator of all, selflessly humbles himself to serve you and I. Through love, serve. One another. 1 Corinthians chapter 5-7 is the third passage I'd call to your attention in this first point. 1 Corinthians 5-7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. For God so loved, for in him all the fullness of God dwells. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's not only this selfless love of coming into this world as a baby born in Bethlehem's manger. To poor parents. Without any shining lights. It's also that he spreads those hands upon a cross. And becomes our Passover lamb. Selfless love. Love that thinks not of itself but thinks of others. It is no wonder that Paul when he comes to this part of Galatians is boiling it all down to say, look, as one who has been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, as one who now has the nature of Christ, as one who has now been given the spirit of Christ, how is it that we are to live in this world with the freedom to immorality The freedom to do what we want? The freedom to treat each other as we would? No. We live our life in the selfless love of Christ. See, that's why this text is actually a Christmas text. Some of you may be saying, you know, these sermons lately, Pastor Bob, you know, It got nothing to do with shepherds and wise men and Christmas. No, this is Christmas. This is the essence of what it's about. The freedom that we have. The redemption we have. The adoption we have. He came to redeem us. That's the point. The point is not that we'd have a tree. The point is not that we'd have lights. The point is not that we'd have presents. The point is not that we'd have meals. The point is that we would have redemption. Bought with his precious blood. Out of his selfless love for you and I. So what does it mean then? For us to live. A selfless kind of love. How does Paul encourage that? Well, let me lead to you, to three points. One, it comes by serving others. It comes by serving others. The idea that's used here for serving is the same as the idea of bondage. We are to be in bondage to the idea, to the concept, to the reality that we are here to serve one another. This is that for which Christ has set us free. Not the bondage of the chains of law. Because you see, true freedom is found in the willing, sacrificial service to others in love. That's true freedom. That's what Christ has given to us. The freedom to willingly, sacrificially serve others out of a deep sense of love. Not out of a compulsion. Not out of a necessity. Not out of, if I don't do this, I'm not saved but more out of a, if I am saved, how can I not but do this? A bondage of submitting not to that law of Moses, but to submit to one another by praying, by caring, by taking an interest, by encouraging one another. See, we're to be in a bondage but not in chains. The love of Christ is so to compel us that life is lived not for us, but for others. Just think how different, how different, how radically different the Christmas experience in our modern day lives would be if this were the first principle, if this is what became most important. Not how drunk can I be before 6 p.m. at night, How much food can I consume at the next family get-together? Not how many dollars is Grandma going to put in our envelope this year? Selfless love that sees not oneself, but sees others. have much work to do do we not brothers and sisters in our thinking in our living in our attitude in our heart because you see it's this love that Paul says is actually the fulfillment of the law for in one word in one word We have the whole of the law. You see, what what Paul is doing is he's contrasting. For those of you who have been here, you know that that this whole book is written in in a sense of having to deal with those Judaizers, those false teachers who are seeking to to place the burden and the weight of, of the whole of the law of Moses upon these churches of Galatia once again. Think of how many words there are there. Think of how many words there are. How many words of law are to be found in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? See, what Paul is really saying to the false teachers is, look, you think your salvation is based upon the multitude of all of these words and the obedience to all of these words. Let me cut it down to the chase. It boils down to one word, love. And it's rather interesting, isn't it, that Paul does not boil this down to, well, you ought to love God and then love your neighbor. Because the Apostle John tells us in the book of 1 John that one cannot love one's neighbor unless they love God. So you see, Paul doesn't have to say, well, the first and greatest commandment is to love God. Because you can't do love one's neighbor. Biblically, truly, until you love God. So what does it become? One word. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Not in biting and devouring one another. Interesting terms, aren't they? Paul had available to him words like bitterness, strife, quarreling, anger. Instead, he uses the terms biting and devouring. What does that make you think of? What is there in our society that bites and devours one another? And if you said, in your mind, animals, you've got it. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, what happens is this. When you get yourself involved in legalism and the obedience to all of these laws for your salvation, what ends up happening is you end up biting and devouring one another like animals. You begin to tear one another apart. Let me give you an example of that. An example of it would be this. May a Christian have a television set in their house churches split over this? Well, they're not a Christian if they have that. Well, maybe if you have a black and white one, we'll let it go. So you have all these different factions about legalism. True salvation is found if we avoid everything of the world. No TVs. They're the truly saved. Well, we're not so sure. So then there becomes the black and white saved. Then there becomes the, well, if you watch it, just not on Sunday, saved. And then there becomes the, well, if you only use it to watch specials, saved. See, and and now what happens? We bite, we devour, we bicker, and we get all angry and upset, just like Paul says animals. See, as soon as you step into the camp of legalism, as far as this is what it takes to be saved, and there is no salvation apart from that. All it is, is this animalistic. See, There's a reason Paul is now going to delve into flesh and spirit. Paul is saying, we are distinct from animals. But you know what? Oftentimes we don't act like it. We bite. We devour, we consume one another. Calvin in his sermons on Galatians, Calvin who is not known necessarily for his intrinsic insight into human nature. He's known as the theologian. But the more I read of Calvin out of Galatians, the more I understand that we've given Calvin a bum rap in that regard. Listen to what Kelvin writes regarding this passage. In other words, Paul shows on the one hand that if there is no law of God, we will have no fear of offending Him. But on the other hand, even if we have been well taught and possess a small amount of wisdom, it will in no way be enough to prevent us from squabbling and declaring war upon one another. Indeed, we rush toward our own perdition. As if by deliberate intention, therefore, this commandment runs counter to our nature. People become wild when they flare up like this, and thereby invite their own ruin. But why do we hate our enemies? It must be because we let loose our passions. But we excuse it in this way. Oh, they wish me ill. Not only so, but they deliberately bring evil my way. Indeed, have already done so. Really? So what next? What will you have gained by making two devils out of one, as they say? For you are only kindling a fire in someone who was already sufficiently inflamed. This will embitter him further and make him doubly enraged. You ought to realize that this will end in perdition for both of you. However, if we consider this reason alone, it would be insufficient to stop us. For we, too, are far too fleshly in these matters. Even if I were to abstain from all hatred because I saw that it would harm me in the end, I would nevertheless continue to seek my own advancement. God wants us to keep our eyes closed to any regard we might have for our own persons, as well as to cast off all ill will and all desire for raggling. May we trample all this underfoot. Why? in order that he might have mastery over us. However much men may give occasion to hate them because of their wickedness, we must maintain unity with them, for God has placed us all together. The homage that God requires of us is that we deny ourselves and even love those who hate us. Calvin goes on to talk about the fact that when animals fight, they often do so to their own peril. They'll fight, they'll fight, they'll bite, they'll devour until both die. See, you must see, folks, that the option before us in life is to serve one another through love or to bite and devour one another. Because it never ends up that we bite and devour only our enemy. It's never we bite and devour just the other person. We also are caught up in the sin. And we do it to our own harm. You ever see those animals that end up with that death grip on themselves? (laughs) There you go. How silly. Remember that. The next time that you have a tendency to go towards biting and devouring someone. That is not the fulfillment of love that God would have us. It's not just love those who love us. It is to love even our enemies. selfless love, by serving one another, by fulfilling the law of love. And then thirdly, by walking in the Spirit. As you look at this passage, I think our folks who put together our Scriptures did not do us a favor. In fact, in many commentators, they believe verse 16 goes back with the previous paragraph, and and I would say it does as well. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, see, here's the contrast. Instead of following that animal passion, instead of following that sinful nature, instead of following that fleshly nature that so quickly responds, if I'm attacked, I attack back. If I don't get what I want, I attack. If I don't get what I want, I yell, I scream, I swear, I cuss. If I don't get what I want. But I say, walk by the Spirit. See, not according to that sinful nature, not according to that flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. The Spirit, you see, is Christ's gift. Selfless love not only gives Himself, but He gives His Spirit. This is the gift that Christ gives to you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. He gives us His Spirit, and love is the fruit of that Spirit. Love is the very essence of that spirit. Even as we read in 1 John, God is love. And so what Paul is simply saying is live life in love. In closing, William Hendrickson on this particular section closes with with this picture. And I think uh, Hendrickson grew up in West Michigan, so I think he had a pretty good idea of this. You know, as you drive home today, you're still going to see leaves on some trees, oak trees in particular. They're brown, they're curled, they're dead, but they still hang on. Come next spring, come next spring, those leaves will begin to fall once again. Do you know how they fall? They fall because of new life, of new leaves emerging. The only way for those old leaves that are tenaciously hanging on, even now, through the winter winds, through the cold, is when the new comes. The only way, my friends, the only way that that old sinful nature of hatred, of bitterness, of strife, of quarreling, of biting and devouring one another, the only way that will ever be given out of our lives, the only way that is ever flushed out is by the Spirit. It is the Spirit who brings the fruit of love. A love that is selfless, a love that reflects Christ. This is to what we are called. Let's live that love. Amen. Father, thank you for your word, for its reminder to us this morning. How it is that we are to live But oh Father We thank you for the reminder Of the selfless love Of Christ For us poor Wretched sinners Thank you For the incarnation Of Christ In whose name we pray And all God's people say Amen.